We've been going through the book of Acts as a church. Last week we touched on what it looks like when the Spirit comes with power. And we, we talked about pursuing the filling of the Holy Spirit for enabling and empowering us to speak on His behalf. And the book of Acts we saw was meant to reveal that God's plan is unhindered and how Jesus is expanding His church. And He does that through the power of the Spirit despite all opposition. And so that's been our theme as we've been going through the book of Acts. In the past few weeks we've looked at Acts chapter 2 and how the Holy Spirit fills, enables, and empowers His disciples to be witnesses for Jesus. Today we're going to take a little bit closer of a look. We're going to actually go back to the same passage we looked at last week, but we're going to dive into it in a little bit more detail because the passage last week was so broad and covered so many areas. And one of the important areas that last week's passage touched on was the area of prophecy in the New Testament and the, and the promise of the Spirit that results in the widespread, avail, widespread availability of prophecy for today. You see, earlier... In the book of Acts, Jesus had promised his disciples that he would send them the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and that when they received the Holy Spirit, they would be clothed with power from on high, and he would fill them and enable them to be his witnesses. And then on the day of Pentecost, in the passage prior to the one we're looking at today, the Holy Spirit comes in a dramatic way. He comes with a mighty, rushing Gale force sound. The sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it fills the whole house. And and the disciples are affected. And tongues of fire come down. And they separate out. And they go and rest on each and every person there. And then something else dramatic happens. They all begin to speak with unknown languages. And languages that that they're not their own. And non-native languages. And... And they were speaking the mighty things of God. And it was such a noise as they rushed out into the street and they were speaking of the mighty works of God that thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem came running to hear what is this commotion? What is this noise all about? And Peter stands up and he explains what has happened to these 120 or so disciples that have been dramatically filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're all prophesying, speaking in other languages, the mighty works of God. And so Peter stands up and he explains what was happening. He tells them they're not drunk. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just, it's just 9 a.m. And then the main text that we're going to begin with today, let's read God's word together and hear Peter's explanation of part of what what they are doing. What is this that they are experiencing? What is this that these thousands of people are witnessing these 120 people do? So Acts chapter 2, this is God's holy inspired word, verses 16 through 18. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy inspired word that instructs us, that is good and profitable for our instruction. Father, I pray that You would enable us to humble ourselves before Your Word. Father, I pray that You would give us faith for the presence of the Holy Spirit, for Your presence. Father, I pray that You would give us faith to desire Your Holy Spirit and to desire not only the pouring out of Your Spirit, but the manifestation in the gifts of Your Spirit as well. God, I pray that we would come humbly before Your Word, setting aside any preconceived notions we might have and submitting ourselves to You. And Father, I pray that You would increase our faith in You as we see You do Your work in the New Testament church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, several hundred years before this occasion, before Peter stood up, before the Holy Spirit came dramatically and 120 were filled with the Spirit and they began to prophesy, to speak in other languages prophetically, before this happened, several hundred years earlier, the prophet Joel, he wrote a little book. It's, it's in the Old Testament. It's titled Joel. And in, in, in the book of Joel, what he's writing in response to is that a great plague had come on the people of Israel. Um, this hordes of locusts had come and they'd eaten everything in the whole land of Israel. And so all, not only the fig trees and the olive trees, all their fruit trees were destroyed. The pasture lands were destroyed. Their, their cattle, their sheep had nothing to graze on. All their grain in the field was destroyed. Though the crops were gone, even the seedlings were decimated. And Joel saw that this was God's judgment on the people. But God delivered a message of hope to the people that if they would repent, He would restore them. And so the people responded to Joel's preaching. And in the book of Joel, we see that the people wonderfully repent. And so God does what He promised to do. And He restores them. He has pity on them. He told them that He would restore them and redeem this tragedy and they would never again be put to shame. And then in the book of Joel... Joel gives this prophecy, this this future-oriented prophecy about one day God's Spirit would not only come on the leaders and, and the prophets and on those who were specially gifted, but one day God would not only restore them as a people, but one day God's very presence would be with them, each and every one of them. And that one day God would pour out His Spirit in such a broad work that it would be seen in in not just a few prophets but widespread availability of the gift of prophecy that god would pour out his spirit and so as we look at acts 2 16 to 18 more closely this passage that peter is close uh, quoting from joel we're going to explore just four questions from the book and really we're going to spend most of our time on question number four because i believe as a church it's imperative for us to understand What's the Bible talking about when it talks about the gift of prophecy? And as we do, we're going to spend most of our time on this last question, but the first question we're going to seek to answer is, when will the Holy Spirit and prophecy be poured out? If you're reading this passage in, in Acts 2, 16 to 18, the first question that kind of jumps out at you is, when? When is this going to happen? When will the Holy Spirit and prophecy be poured out? And this is the first question that we're going to seek to answer. It's not overly complex, God often gives His Word in a really simple way. And in this passage, we see that Peter says it's in the last days that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And so we have to ask ourselves, when are these last days? Peter's explaining to the hearers and to really us today that the last days, they were ushered in as of this day of Pentecost and that these are the last days that they are living in, and that we are living in as well. And Hebrews 1-2 confirms that, and it says, In many times and in various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, these last days that we're living in, He has spoken to us by a Son. And so since the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, we all are living in the last days. These last days are between this outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost and the day when He'll return again. And Peter references that in a couple other verses later in Acts chapter 2. And he says, we're in these last days when the Holy Spirit is now poured out. And, and the gift of prophecy is available in a widespread way. And it's these days that we're living in between Pentecost and when Jesus returns, when the great and glorious day of the Lord, the great and magnificent day. And so we are living in this time. We are living in these last days when the Spirit is poured out on all flesh before the final day of the Lord and the return of Jesus Christ. And so the simple answer to our first question really is that the Holy Spirit will be poured out in the last days and we are living in these last days. And the gift of prophecy is meant to be available in these last days. And from 1 Corinthians 14, we know that what's the timing of this? Does the gift of prophecy go away? Is the Holy Spirit somehow poured out earlier in Pentecost and now withdrawn in some way? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, we know that the gift of prophecy will pass away in the future, but not until the return of Christ. And Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 
It says, love never ends. That's one thing that will never go away. When we see Jesus face to face, we will experience love and His love in an unmitigated way and we'll experience that forever. So He's saying, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And you're wondering, when will this happen? And He explains, for we know in part, now we know in part. And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and that perfect is the consummation of all things when we see the perfect one and we are made perfect. And when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And it says in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. And isn't that really true? We see in a mirror dimly. We don't see completely clearly. We don't see fully. But here's our hope. But then face to face, when the perfect comes, we'll see God face to face. Now we know in part. He says, now I know in part. And then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And what Paul is saying is that God knows us fully. And we don't know Him fully yet. We don't know Him perfectly yet. We don't know Him face to face yet. But when we do know Him face to face, when we do see Him face to face, there won't be a need for knowledge. There won't be a need for prophecies. But love will continue. But until that time... Until the perfect comes, until we see Him face to face, until we've been known and we know fully as we've been known, the gift of prophecy continues. We know that when we've been fully known, we won't need prophecy any longer. But until then, here's the good news. We've been given the Holy Spirit for our good. We've been given the gifts of the Spirit for our good. Until we meet Him so that He can manifest His presence to us and communicate His presence to us. And so that's a good thing that we have His presence until we see Him face to face because God promises to reveal Himself to us until finally and ultimately He's revealed completely face to face. And so the second question that needs to be answered from this passage really is, who then will the Spirit be poured out on? Who will the Spirit be poured out on? Who is Peter speaking of in these last days? Who will the Spirit be poured out on? And so verse 17 says very clearly, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Unlike in the Old Testament, only a few chosen people were able to receive the Spirit the presence of God personally. And only the high priest could enter into the presence of God. And that only once a year. But now, in these last days, we have the experience of God pouring out His Spirit on us and receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it won't be limited to select few, not just the judges and prophets or priests or other specially gifted people like the, the tradesmen or craftsmen for building the temple. Whereas His Spirit was not widely available before, now His Spirit has come so that all of us can experience and know God's personal presence with us. That's good news, isn't it? The Spirit is for sons and daughters, Peter says. It's not just limited to men. It's not just, it's not just limited to, to old men. It says young men and old, no matter what their class or social status may be, not, not just Not just those who are free, but servants as well. No matter what their background is, no matter male or female, without distinction, all those who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is not given more than women to men or more to men than women. His Spirit is not given more to high-class folks or to those who are more in need. His Spirit is not reserved for the elite, for the educated. It's not reserved for those who hold a special office or a role. His Spirit is not just for those special people. His Spirit is now for all of us. His his presence is now able to be with each and every one of us. Now that the priesthood of believers has come, we all cannot just enter into the presence of God. We have the very presence of God dwelling with us. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith in Him, you can have confidence that His Holy Spirit is ever-present with you to empower you, to enable you to speak, to work through you and to be His witnesses. That is such good news and that should affect us. If you understand, if you've read the Old Testament 
And you understand that distance, that separation from God. And now we are no longer separated from His presence, but now His Holy Spirit is with us, then it should fill us with joy and confidence for the Christian walk. As we're reading this passage, though, there's more questions that we still have to unpack. And and really, now that we know who the Spirit is poured out on, that the Spirit is poured out on all flesh, and that it's for this interim time between the day of Pentecost and when the Lord returns... The next question is, what is a sign of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? What does this text say is a sign of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? If you've ever experienced a hurricane and you've been through it, if you've ridden out a hurricane, you know there's a major difference between seeing a hurricane on TV and watching the forecast and being in the middle of one when the rains sweep over you. You know there's a dramatic difference between seeing and experiencing it from afar and experiencing it in person. And and back in, in 2005, when the most costly hurricane hit the United States, the Hurricane Katrina, it ripped into the southeastern United States. It was clearly a dramatic outpouring of nature, wasn't it? It was widespread. It was pervasive. And the rains from the hurricane, they overwhelmed Louisiana. I remember watching on the television how they flooded New Orleans. And it was unbelievable that the city was underwater. And I can imagine if you were one of those residents of New Orleans, you would know there's a huge difference between being immersed in the outpouring of this hurricane and experiencing it and seeing it from a distance. In a similar way, there is a big difference between experiencing God from a, from a distance and experiencing the outpouring of His presence personally. Like a flood that completely saturates you. And Peter tells us that we don't have to experience it from a distance, but now His Spirit, his spirit is poured out And it will be unmistakable because God's presence and His Spirit will be poured out on all flesh and the result will be this this outpouring, this widespread gift of prophecy for the people of God. This widespread revelation of God. In Acts 17 and 18, it tells us the primary way that this outpouring will be seen. Look in your Bibles, if you will, with me. And it says, here's, here's the sign, one of the signs, not the only sign, but one of the primary signs that we see of the outpouring of the Spirit, according to Joel and to Peter. He says, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Why is that significant? Because no one had prophesied in a widespread way in the past. And he says, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And, and what is one of the signs? Again, he reiterates it, and they shall prophesy. One of the most significant characteristic marks of these last days that we're living in, this, this present church age, this is it's the revelatory activity of the Holy Spirit to give a prophetic gifting to all manner of God's people. Not every one of God's people, but to all manner of God's people. In these last days, God makes Himself known personally through His Holy Spirit to give His people all kinds of gifts. And it's impossible to think for a moment that a a person can be filled with the very Holy Spirit of God. Think about it for a minute. It's impossible that a person might be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and there is no change in that person. This is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's impossible to think that the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus and the disciples at Pentecost would not affect our thoughts and our affections and our actions. There's no way that you can experience the almighty power of God's hurricane force Spirit and not be moved. And if you, if you are in a, an unmoved state, if you are aware, not aware of stirring of affection for God, that I encourage you to cry out to God to save you and to, and to give you Himself and to pour out His Spirit on you. We can see that one of the, the first signs that Pentecost, not the only sign, but one of the first signs was prophetic utterances, the revealing of the, of the mighty works of God. It says they, they were declaring in other languages the mighty works of God. And then Peter gives an explanation. He says, this is actually a prophetic gifting. 
This, these other languages, they are prophetically speaking in a timely way. They are speaking and declaring the mighty works of God. And they're, they're, they're drawing men to God through these declarations of God. And Peter tells us the gift of prophecy is going to be widely given to God's people in the last days. And, and one of these main signs, not just in, in these verses, but in other verses through Acts and in other verses in the Bible, we can see is that prophecy was not just given to a few. We can see this carried out in the Bible. It was given to many. And so Acts 11, it tells us in Acts eleven twenty eight. now in those days, prophets, plural, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And, and this took place in the days of Claudius. And the people responded, and we can see in Acts 11, they, they gave relief to the brothers in, in Judea. And then in Acts 13, Luke tells us, now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers. So this was normative in the book of Acts. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And we know that these men were not apostles aside from Saul. These, these men were, were not considered apostles. They did not write Scripture. And yet we can see the, the gift of prophecy in the church in Antioch. And then in Acts 15, it tells us of others who were prophets. It says in Acts 15, 32, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And then in Acts 21, we see that there were not just prophets in Antioch and Judea and other places. We see there are prophets in Caesarea. And Luke tells us in Acts 21.8, he says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Notice something interesting here. Prophecy is not just limited to men, sons and daughters. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And so in Acts, the gift of prophecy was given to many in addition to the 120 at Pentecost, at least in Jerusalem and Antioch and wherever Judas and Silas went in Caesarea. And then we know that Paul, he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18 and he's telling Timothy, remember the prophecies made about you. In another letter, Paul told the Thessalonian church, don't despise prophecies. So we see that the testimony of the New Testament is that this indeed is true. That the Holy Spirit was poured out and the gift of prophecy was widely available throughout the New Testament church. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his letter, 1 Corinthians, he spent a lengthy time giving them instruction about various spiritual gifts, including prophecy. And we can see in, in 1 Corinthians twelve seven, the Scripture says, to each is given. And this is not just to the Corinthians, by the way. This is to us as well. Because we believe that all Scripture is for our instruction. It is for our benefit. So he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And so we can see that prophecy was a manifestation or a sign of the outpouring of the Spirit for the common good given by the Spirit. And he refers to it later on in Corinthians as not only something to be eagerly desired, but as a higher gift. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, he says, Pursue love. Because the way that they were carrying out the spiritual gifts in Corinthians was not a loving thing. They were proud. They thought that they were more spiritually mature because they had spiritual gifts. But Paul's saying that's not the case because you're not loving. But even though they're not mature, here's what he commands them. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire. Keep on. That, that word there is earnestly is, is a continuous word. Earnestly. Continue to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And then notice the shocking thing that he's saying. The very gift that they were abusing and they were taking pride in thinking that it was more of maturity, he encourages them not only earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. We wouldn't have a command in Scripture given to people generally to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy, if it wasn't a widespread sign of the outpouring of the Spirit. And so Paul went so far to tell them that he, he really wants them all to prophesy. In 1 Corinthians 14.5, he says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He wants them all to prophesy. He acknowledged that 
It was good to pursue the gift of tongues, but he wanted them all to prophesy. And in fact, it's, it's so important that this gift be desired in an operation in the New Testament church that, that Paul reiterated again at the end of, of 1 Corinthians 14 after giving them guidelines for the use. And, and he's saying that what really matters, the gifts are exercised in love because you're, you're immature. And so pursue love, but keep on earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. And then again, he reiterates it. So you think Paul is driving home a message here, the New Testament? You think God is trying to get our attention that this is important to us? 1 Corinthians 14, 39, the end of the chapter says, So my brothers, after he's just corrected them, at the end he comes back again to let them know he still wants them to pursue this. He says, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. This picture that we have from the New Testament and from the early church is that the gift of prophecy, it was a widespread sign of the outpouring of the Spirit. And the gift of prophecy especially is to be earnestly desired. And that might just freak you out this morning. If if you come from a background that like I did when I, I first became a Christian and my parents, um, we, we were raised in a Lutheran church to begin with, this would have been a foreign idea. It would have been a concerning idea. And maybe this morning you're concerned because you've seen abuses and weirdness and just people doing some wacko things. But maybe you've seen people be proud or arrogant or or denigrate the importance of Scripture and instead think that prophecy somehow is meant for guidance. So maybe this morning you find yourself fearful of the gift of prophecy. The encouragement to you and to I is that the gift of prophecy is to be earnestly desired despite abuses, despite excesses, and especially desire the gift of prophecy. And so the fourth, the final question from Peter's explanation that prophecy is going to be widely available, it it begs one really important question. What is he talking about? What is prophecy? And that's where we're going to spend the bulk, the remainder of our time, is, is answering that question from the New Testament. What is this prophecy that Peter is talking about? Surely he can't mean Old Testament prophecy because all these 120 people who came and were prophesying, they weren't writing Scripture. So what is this prophecy that Peter is talking about that will be widespread available to the gift, I mean to God's people as a gift? And the first thing we're going to see directly from the context is that it isn't meant to be a rare or isolated gift. God intends that all manner of his people prophesy on all kinds of flesh. So today when we think about the gift of prophecy, one of the first things we need to do is reject the notion that the gift of the Spirit is something we should be afraid of. We we need to reject the notion that we should be worried about or suspicious of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, we need to be careful. We need to exercise good discernment and good judgment. But let's be honest with ourselves. Often, the reason why we are skeptical about the gifts of the Spirit, and, and particularly the ones that are seemingly, and I say seemingly, more miraculous because they're really not but the seemingly miraculous ones is because we're fearful maybe we've seen abuses maybe we've seen some crazy things happen maybe we're fearful because it just seems different or odd but i would i would submit to you that in all likelihood if you are a christian in some nascent way you've experienced a little bit of the impartation of revelation not not writing scripture but revelation from the holy spirit have you ever had a moment when you were praying and you felt like God put on your heart that you pray for somebody specifically and then you go and you talk to that person and they say, oh, I was going through a rough time and you're like, I was praying for you right at that moment. Or have you ever had the Holy Spirit speak to you when you are meeting with somebody or talking to somebody and you feel like God just gives you a verse and it affects them in a way dramatically. In some way, that is the illumination, the revelation of the Holy Spirit to you to give you a timely word for other people. And so Paul is, is explaining to us, the Scripture explains to us what is prophecy, and he intends for all manner of God's people to prophesy. It's one of the characteristics of the new covenant age that began at Pentecost. Not only that, prophecy, we can see, is, is spirit-inspired human speech. Who was speaking? These 120 people who were speaking in the book of Acts. It was people. And what were they speaking? And they were speaking actually in human languages. Now, they didn't understand them, but they were speaking in human languages, spirit-inspired human speech. They were speaking words about God, and it was, 
It was not Scripture that they spoke, and it wasn't complete. How do we know it wasn't complete? Well, the hearers needed, they needed someone to teach them. Because the response when they heard this, these prophetic utterances, is what does this mean? They needed somebody to explain it to them. And so Peter gets up and explains it to them what it means. And so prophecy has rightly been defined by, by others as the human report of a divine revelation. It is not itself divine revelation when, when we give it, but is the human report of what we receive. In 1 Corinthians 14.30, Paul refers to prophecy as based on a revelation from God in a broad sense. Now, before you get concerned, this is not Scripture he's talking about. It's not the kind of revelation that the apostles received. And in the New Testament, the apostles are the ones who are the counterparts to the Old Testament prophets. And by the New Testament times, this word for prophecy was had become so general that it just meant illumination. And so... Jesus, when he's calling his apostles, he uses a different word. And the apostles are the only ones who have flawless revelation, divine authorization to speak on God's behalf. And so Paul is instructing the church broadly in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. And he says, if a revelation... Wait a minute, Paul uses the word revelation here. That's right, because God is revealing or showing us something from his word and something about himself. And so if a revelation is made to another sitting there... Speaking of prophecy, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And so from the context, we can see that that prophecy is meant to help us understand God, to see a timely word, a spirit-inspired word in human speech for us. It's a human report based on revelation from God, but it's not it's not special revelation of Scripture. Prophecy is... It's just simply spirit-inspired encouragement or exhortation or a word from God for us. And sometimes it includes the revealing of things that wouldn't otherwise be known. And so Paul explains this aspect as well in 1 Corinthians 14 when he talks about the effect that it would have when a stranger comes into their midst and they hear people prophesying. And so in 1 Corinthians 14.25, he says when strangers come in, they hear people prophesying, it says the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. What is he saying? Prophecy, it's spirit-inspired human speech. It's meant to result in worship of God, not worship of the gifts. I had experience like this myself many times. I remember the very first time when I wasn't expecting or anticipating, I had not experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to me in a specific way. But I was in the middle of worship. I was in a youth group. And uh, I don't know, remember what we were singing? It had nothing to do with what I felt like God gave to me. And we were singing, and I was worshiping. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of worship, um, I felt like God said, open your eyes. And I did. And I saw this guy standing in front of me. I didn't really know him really well. I hadn't had hardly any conversations with him before. And God said, he just broke up with his girlfriend today. And, and he's going to go home tonight and commit suicide. And so I thought, that's weird. He looks totally fine to me. Looks happy. He's smiling. He's singing. Mm, I'm not really sure. And so at the end of the meeting, I went up and, and I said, you know, I know this sounds weird, but did you just break up with your girlfriend? And did you make plans to commit suicide tonight? And he just, he broke down. He, he burst into tears and he said, yeah, I haven't told anybody. I didn't tell anybody we broke up. And, and I didn't tell anybody. This is before Facebook, okay? So this is the 80s. <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody we broke up. My status had changed. And yeah, I had already written the note. And I was planning on going home and taking my life. One, one last time with my friends. And yet God used that subjective sense, that imperfect sense, to intervene and to rescue him from taking his life. And we prayed together and... And he experienced the kindness and mercy of God and the care of God. There's an account of Charles Spurgeon in the middle of a sermon. He suddenly pointed to somebody he didn't know. And he, he, in the middle of his sermon, it was kind of, I can only imagine, filled with thousands of people. He's, the sermon was not related to this topic at all. And in the middle of a sermon, he, he points at a guy in the back of the room. It's his first time there. And, and he tells him that the gloves that you're wearing are stolen from your employer. 
And then he moves on and keeps talking. At the end of the service, at the end of the service, now, I don't know if everybody saw who he was pointing at, but the guy who he was looking at did. And so at the end of the service, that guy came up to, to Charles Spurgeon and he confessed, I've never stolen anything before. Please don't tell my employer. I'll give it back. And, and, and he confessed his sin and he came to Christ. And, and another time, another account in the middle of Spurgeon's sermon, he suddenly said there was a shoemaker in the room who worked last Sunday instead of coming to church, and he took in nine pence and made exactly four pence profit. And at the end of the service, this guy comes up to him and he says, you're right, that was me. I, I worked last Sunday. I brought in four pence total, and I made, I mean, I brought in nine pence total. I made four pence profit, and he was convicted to put God first. He met God and he was saved. In Charles Spurgeon, speaking of all these different occasions, he says, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall. He's not talking about the hallway, but he, he called the area they met the hall. Without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, Come see a man who has told me all the things I ever did. Beyond the doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul, or else he would not have described me so exactly. You see, God was using him, and God used me, and God uses countless others throughout the New Testament age that we are living in to care for people by giving this this New Testament gift of prophecy. Although Spurgeon wouldn't have called it prophecy, his own testimony in countless times confirms that this, this really was spirit-inspired human speech. And I think that often people get hung up on one thing, is that they say, well, um, prophecy can't continue today because that would mean we're still writing Scripture. And the answer is no, not at all, because only apostles and four people who were associates of the apostles and confirmed by the apostles, those are the only ones to write Scripture. And so prophecy in the New Testament today is very different so I remember a while back in our own church, we had a guest speaker, and this is this is one of just many times for our church as well. But um, if you notice, we have a a ministry microphone at the front, and it's we have either Aaron or I, one of the elders in the church. Um, we, we stand at the front to kind of screen what people are hearing from the Lord because we're responsible for what's spoken in the church. And so, but what we have that for is to provide a context, an opportunity for people to share a, a current word from God for today what God spontaneously brought to mind to encourage people. And so I remember many, I guess it was a couple years ago now, we had a guest speaker and and he had a couple passages he had potentially prepared ahead of time. I thought he was going to speak on a different passage. I, I didn't know he was going to speak on the passage he chose. I gave him two different two different topics. And so he he picked one of those and, and he came. And so one of the ladies in our church, she came up. And she said, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to read from this, but I was reading from Zephaniah this morning and, and it felt like God gave me this, this, this passage in Zephaniah and then she shared a, a word of encouragement how, how God sings over us and he rejoices over us in love. And then it turns out that the exact scripture that the guest speaker he, he preached from, but nobody else knew that her encouragement came from, it was his main point of his message. And that kind of thing happens consistently and continually. And what is that evidence of? It's that God is caring for His people in a specific way to minister to His people, to encourage, to exhort, to edify. And so it's just a, it's a human report. It's something the Holy Spirit reveals. Unlike Scripture, though, New Testament prophecy does not have divine authority. And it's important for us to distinguish between Old Testament prophecy and Scripture, what the apostles wrote, and New Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy does not carry divine authority. And the other point we're going to see on what is prophecy is that prophecy is a fallible, flawed, human report of a spontaneous revelation given by God to a person. We have to be careful when we say this, though, because it's not special revelation. This is, this is not inscripturation. And so many people who would agree with that, in, in, in fact, they often elevate prophecy as if it has the very authority of Scripture. We need to, to guard against that. The apostles are the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament prophets. The canon of Scriptures closed. It was finalized with John's writing of Revelation. Only the apostles of Jesus Christ and the prophets in the Old Testament can write Scripture and did write Scripture 
And we have their testimony with us today. We have the gift of the apostles and prophets with us today through Scripture. Scripture loans the authoritative source for our lives and for guidance. We have to base all of our life and doctrinal decisions on the words of Scripture, not the words of any New Testament prophecy. In Acts 21.4, we can see an example of the New Testament prophecy does not have the authority of Scripture. It says the disciples at Tyre, they came up to Paul. And it says, through the Spirit, they gave him a prophecy. It says, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And we know that Paul had a high view of Scripture. Paul was submitted to Scripture. But Paul clearly did not listen to their prophecy. They, they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. What did he do? He went to Jerusalem. He did not see what they shared with him as if it held equal authority to Scripture. In Acts 21.10, we see an example where prophecy is indeed flawed human report of a spontaneous revelation. There, Agabus, he prophesies that Paul would be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem. He gives specific details. He says, Paul, you're going to be bound like this. You're going to be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem. And the Jews are going to deliver you over into the hands of the Gentiles. And, and Agabus got some of the facts right... But unlike Old Testament prophecy, he didn't get the details that he shared right at all. Yes, Paul was bound. And yes, Paul was taken to Rome. But Paul was not bound by the Jews. And this, this prophecy would have been thrown out in Old Testament prophecy, but he was not bound by the Jews. He was, he was bound by the Romans. And the Jews didn't voluntarily try to hand him up to the Gentiles. Actually, they tried to kill him. And so the Romans, they, the Gentile Romans rescued him from the Jews. So Agabus was mostly right, but he got specific details wrong. It never would have been allowed in an Old Testament prophecy. So we see that New Testament prophecy, it, it's, it's not perfect. It's flawed. And in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul is telling them, don't quench the Spirit. And he tells them how. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, the Thessalonians, they were actually commended at the beginning of the book of Thessalonians. They were commended for how they had received and accepted God's word with joy from the Holy Spirit. But Paul still had to tell them not to despise prophecy. Why? Because they didn't hold prophecy as, this, as highly as the same thing as God's word. They rightly saw there was a difference between God's word and prophecy. And so Paul actually had to encourage these people who he commends for esteeming God's word highly. He had to commend them. Don't, but in your esteeming of God's word highly, don't despise this gift of prophecy and thereby quench the spirit. But notice he doesn't say just to be open to prophecy. So for us today, maybe you've despised prophecy in the past. Maybe you're fearful of it. When he says don't quench the spirit by despising the prophecies, that's for us today too. But it doesn't say be completely open to whatever goes. It doesn't say that. It says the answer for them is to pursue prophecy and use biblically informed discernment. And, and that's what we're to do as well. Each and every one of us. We're not to despise prophecy, but to test it. You see, in the Old Testament, the prophets were tested. But once it was assured the prophet was speaking on behalf of God, they would accept the prophet's words as God's words. In the New Testament, we do not see that. We see that the very prophecies are sifted, are tested. And, and there can be some that's good and some that's not good. That's evil, that's bad. Now, evil in the sense of not true. And so Paul is saying, don't despise prophecies. Use discernment. Hold fast to the good in it. And... and and abstain from the stuff that's not. That's, that's not true. That's evil. And so we see that there's a mixture in New Testament prophecy. And then they weren't to despise it, but in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, Paul commands the church. Again, the, the Thessalonians were to, to test everything, to test all the prophecies they heard. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak, and then here's the remarkable thing. He's talking about the other people in the church. And he says, let the others present. Let the others weigh what is said. And so we can see that when people prophesied, the others in the congregation were to weigh what was to said. It was to sift out the good from the bad, to, to weigh what was said against the truth of Scripture. Paul didn't have a problem with that. Even when it came to his own teaching, he commended the Bereans 
for checking everything that he was teaching against Scripture. So how much more so should we check everything that we hear against Scripture? Because prophecy may be fallible, we must weigh it against Scripture. We must weigh it against Scripture. It should never establish any doctrine. Prophecy is never meant to establish doctrine to set behavioral standards that aren't explicitly given to us in the Bible. What's right, what's wrong, what's, what's ethically right and wrong has already been established in God's Word, finally and forever. That's our confidence. That's good. That's our sure ground. Maybe you're thinking, oh my gosh, what in the world are they teaching in this church? What we're teaching is that God's Word has already been established. It will never be changed. That is our final source of authority. So prophecy is never to carry in a governmental authority either. Because it's fallible, we aren't looked to prophetic words to make decisions to, for routine guidance. But it can function in a confirmational way. Although not in a, in a directional way. I, I remember back in 1998, and I was um, in a pastor's college class, and, and I met Jim Britt, who was previously the senior pastor here, and he's moved on now, he's in Miami, for those of you who are new to the church. And, and, and I met him, and, and when I first met him, um, I thought he was a little crazy. And, and yet, when I was talking to him, I felt like God gave me this weird, subjective, out-of-the-blue sense that someday you're going to work with him. And I thought, that's nuts. And, and, I, and I readily dismissed that. And, 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 I, and I wasn't pursuing that and didn't long for or want that at the time. And, and then, nine years later, after... We had uh, sought what we, we felt was subjective leading from the Lord to come back east, and we had explored four or five different possibilities. We had sifted through them. We sought counsel. We got in direction. We prayed. We came and visited here. Um, we spoke to the leadership, and we just felt like this was the place that God had for us. I had forgotten about that encounter nine years earlier, really forgotten it. And, and when we moved here, I remember the first week, God reminded me of that. And I thought, oh, how funny is that? That God would be so kind to confirm, to give us assurance, to give me assurance after the fact, to bring to remembrance that, that it can function in this confirmational way, but not a directional way. So we're never, we're never told to sift any Old Testament prophecy or any New Testament scripture because both have divine authority, but we are to weigh and evaluate New Testament prophecy and hold them loosely. Because although God is infallible and His Word is infallible, when we hear Him speaking and we translate what we hear, it is fallible. And so some prophecy can be wrong. It's, it's subject to error. And so the question that many would have is, well, if we have this gift that's subject to error, shouldn't we get rid of it? Because so many people mess it up. So many people are doing some weird, crazy things and they're saying some things are just outlandish and they're pretending that all these signs are from God and yet they're just manifestations of the flesh. So shouldn't we just say, no way, we're not letting that in our church? Like the Corinthians, maybe? Paul told the Corinthians that your services do more harm than good. And yet, he still is commending the gifts and because prophecy can be wrong, it's subject to error, we shouldn't get rid of it. It's still a blessing to the church. And I want to share an analogy with you. The, it's like the gift of teaching. I hope you would all agree that the gift of teaching is a blessing to us. That God has, has given the gift of teaching in the New Testament church for today. And the gift of teaching is a fallible transmission of the revelation of God in Scripture. But we know that teachers are fallible, that they make mistakes. And maybe, imagine that you're in a church, and they're going through the book of Thessalonians. And you are just, you are relishing it. It is awesome. It is great. It's changing your view of God, and you're seeing God everywhere. It's incredible. And then he hits Thessalonians 4, where Paul talks about this thing called the rapture. And then the, the pastor or the teacher, he, he explains that, the scriptural way of viewing things is that um, the saints will be raptured prior to the tribulation. And yet, when, when you go back to scripture, you can see that, wait a minute, I don't, I don't agree with that perspective. Do you, do you then throw out the gift of teaching because he may not have gotten it quite right? Well, of, of course you don't. But we compare everything against scripture. We judge and we weigh everything against scripture. 
what do you do with when you encounter those things in teaching? Well, you're immensely blessed and enriched by everything else your pastor said about Thessalonians, and it's almost been life-changing, so you don't disregard the gift of teaching, but you search the Scriptures diligently and try to, try to weigh what is true and, and let fall by the wayside that, that isn't true. And so in the same way, why, why would we be uncomfortable with another gift of the Spirit that functions in a similar way? There isn't a guarantee our interpretation of a text or a communication about it is always accurate. It means that only Scripture has divine authority. That's what it means. But it doesn't mean you throw out the gift of teaching. Even the gift of teaching, based on God's infallible Word, it might be fallible. Now, hopefully not. Hopefully, we're trying to stick to the meaning of the text and discern what does this text mean. But our trust and our hope is not in ourselves and our communication. It's in Scripture. Only Scripture has divine intrinsic authority and the authority of teaching is only derived authority because it's based on God's Word. And so in a similar way, prophecy is based on something God has spoken, but we hear it in a flawed way and we communicate it partially. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians thirteen nine, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy what? In part. That could never be said of Old Testament prophecy. And then he says, for now, why do we testify? Why do we prophesy in part? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So we don't throw it out completely. We weigh it. We evaluate it according to God's infallible word. And you know, cars can be dangerous. If you've driven an automobile, you know that. If you've had teenagers in your house, if you've been a teenager before and driven, you know that cars can be dangerous if the driver isn't careful. I remember I had a couple accidents within the first year of driving. It's a common occurrence because I just wasn't paying attention. I made a mistake. But it doesn't mean that we should abandon cars because they can be quite useful and beneficial. So even though the danger that, 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 the danger that people could rely on prophecy or wrongly that it function as authoritative, we shouldn't get rid of it even any, any more than we should get rid of all teaching or cars because there's potential for bad or wrong or even heretical things out there. What we should do is, is pursue to be biblical. We should be discerning. And that's the kind of church we want to be. I don't want to be a church that is fearful and bound by our fears and so quenches the Spirit and doesn't take advantage, doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to work and to speak to us in dramatic ways, inspire us, and tell us of the mighty works of God and to point us to greater faith and hope and, and love for Him. As a church, we might make mistakes here, but let me assure you, we're going to pursue to both be biblical but also to, to hear the Spirit. We're going to seek to be biblical and pursue and eagerly desire the greater gifts, and especially prophecy. And there's, there's many different contexts that we, we're going to provide opportunities. We continue to provide opportunities for that is not only Sunday mornings and the ministry mic, and, 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 and you can have some assurance that there's safety there and, and God confirms not only with a person coming up but, but through one of the elders in the church that this seems to be a timely word for the Lord, from the Lord for today. I've had so many countless times that people come up afterwards and say, wow, that was really cool how that person shared that scripture. It went perfectly with that song set and what you shared on Sunday morning. Well, we didn't plan that. We're not that good. But God blesses us through that and there's, there's so many different occasions where Maybe you're meeting with somebody and you're talking to them and they're struggling. You can just pray, God, help me. Give me a word of encouragement, of exhortation, of edification for them that I might love them. What's the motivation for the spiritual gifts? The motivation for prophecy is, is not that we somehow be puffed up or proud or somehow that we can be seen as important or spiritually mature because that's not the case. It doesn't mean you're more mature. It's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to love the body of Christ to be agents or ministers of God's grace in particular ways. We can do it in small groups. We have times of prayer. We can, when we're praying for people, Lord, help, help give me a scripture. Give me something to share for them, Lord, that, that would be encouragement to them. In the Old Testament, Moses, he refused to go forward unless God's presence went with him. Unless God's personal presence went with him and the people, he refused to go be with them unless God would guide them and be with his people. In, in, in the New Testament now, we have God's very presence with us. 
to guide us, to, to bless us, His personal presence in the Holy Spirit. When we think of the spiritual gifts, let's not distance them as a thing or things. It's, it's not. This is a manifestation of God Himself personally manifesting Himself and His presence in us and through us. So we shouldn't be something we should shy away from. But Lord, give me more of You. Lord, may I experience You, not because I'm enamored with these seemingly more spectacular things, but because, God, I want more of You, and I want to understand You. I want to understand Your Scripture, Lord, and I want to be a blessing to the body. I want to love other people, because that's one of the two commandments, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. This is one of the ways that we do that. We're never to be fascinated with the gifts themselves. We're to revel in the fact that God's with us, and all these spiritual gifts are meant to glorify God, to magnify Him, to enable us and empower us to be witnesses. And the only reason that we're, we're explaining this is because so often the gift of prophecy is misunderstood and we couldn't move on from Acts chapter 2 without explaining what is this gift. Church, we need more of God. We need more of God's Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with His Spirit. We need to experience His overwhelming Hurricane Katrina-like presence in our lives that does away with with all else that is not focused on him that that gives us a passion for him that rekindles our passion for our god and our affections for him we want our church to be so inspired by god so empowered by his spirit that the gifts of the spirit and all the gifts of the spirit are seen in everything we do Let's not shy away from one of them because they make us uncomfortable. God is not a tame lion, as C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan is not a tame lion. That's, it's a picture of God. He's not a tame lion, but he is good. We want our church to eagerly desire prophecy, to not despise prophecy because we need it for the building up of our church. It's for the edification, for the building up of the church. True New Testament prophecy, it edifies and encourages, it consoles and it convicts. It builds up the church. I want to finish with a a quote from John Piper speaking about this passage that Peter's quoting. And he says, Joel is looking to a day when men and women everywhere will be so filled with God that they catch visions of Him in the daytime. They dream about Him at night. They speak of Him continually with their mouths. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And he's quoting there Moses. When Moses desired, they were trying to restrain people prophesying in the camp. Moses said, no, I wish that one day all God's people would be prophets. And so he says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. So saturated and soaked with God. Let that be our prayer, by the way. So saturated and soaked with God. So filled with God in the inner life that we would constantly speak to each other of the excellencies of our Maker and Redeemer and Friend. And do not think that this is beyond your reach. Do not think that such an experience of God is for the professional spiritual elite. The point of Joel's prophecy is this. The Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Whether you are man or woman, young or old, servant or master, the promise is for you We have always insisted on the priesthood of all believers, but we should we not also say, would that all God's people were prophets. Would that all God's people were so filled with God that our love and admiration could not but spill over into words. Would that every Wednesday night and every Sunday night we might come together so deeply moved by the Spirit that we would just fall over each other to testify in prophetic words of edifying praise to what we've seen of God. May that be said of our church. May we seek the presence of God. May we seek to be filled with Him. May we seek the outpouring of His Spirit, not so that we get carried away with fantastical gifts, but so that we see a fantastical God. In response, let us rejoice over the pouring out of the Spirit. Let's seek the filling of the Spirit. Eagerly desire the gifts of God's own presence and especially prophecy. And let's close in prayer towards that end.
that God's own spirit will be manifest in such a way that we all be encouraged and moved to worship and exalt him in everything we do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that this would challenge us to not be complacent, to not settle for ordinary. God, I pray that we would be challenged to pursue more of you, that we would not be okay with status quo. Lord, we would not be okay with a mediocre approach towards You and Your Holy Spirit's presence. That we would see that we need You and Your empowering presence for all of life. And that we would cry out, Come, Holy Spirit. So God, we do cry out now. Fill us with Your Spirit. Give us Your good gifts that reveal You, the good God. Lord, may it be said of us that we are a people that are marked by your Spirit's presence, empowered by your presence, and are seeking to keep in step with your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.